1: this program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program
2: is pre-recorded.
3: This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself
1: and giving what you have been given.
3: Who are encouraging more women to pursue
4: their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find
3: their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women To Watch, Sue Rocco.
4: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women To Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here. We have a very full jam-packed show this week, and I'm really excited. With me, uh, my very special guest is Melinda Thomas. Melinda is the co-founder and COO of Octave Bioscience, and she'll be joining me in just a moment. Also, later in the show, you'll be hearing from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor, and she's going to be profiling a national makeup artist, Becca Bowe. And at the very end of the show, I'll be joined by our Wellness Watch contributor, Dr. Shalja Dixit. Um, Dr. Dixit is the CEO of Curio, and she's going to be catching us up on all the things that they're doing for women's mental wellness. So now, I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show Melinda Thomas. Melinda, thanks for being here. Well, thank
0: you. It's uh, your show is a lot of fun and um, always very interesting people. So I'm um, honored to be included.
4: Well, thank you. i'm I'm honored to have you. And tell our viewers where you are. You're joining us from the beautiful Adirondacks, which is upstate New York, right?
5: It is
0: upstate New York. Yes. I'm about forty five miles west of Albany in a teeny little cabin in um on a teeny little lake. Sounds
4: beautiful. It's always good to be, but t- sometimes you're in l a. Is that right?
0: Um, uh, Palo Alto, California. A Palo
4: Alto. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I want to dive right into your background, and um, you grew up in Palo Alto, and I know that it was a really kind of exciting area where, um, you know, a lot of very interesting, bright people doing all kinds of great work. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, how old were you when you first recognized that 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 kind of you know Silicon Valley? Uh, was
0: a place full of entrepreneurs. That's an interesting question. Um, well, that that whole entrepreneurship didn't probably as it was uh, as it was coming up. Um, so Palo Alto is in Santa Clara County, four one five area code. Below that is the four zero eight area code, San Jose and, and such. And when I was growing up, that was all orchards. And when you would drive down um, after a point, all of a sudden it started becoming all these startup companies. So that's really where you notice the change because there were fewer orchards and way more companies mm-hmm. and a lot um, happening. And then, you, you know, a lot of people you knew starting to do that kind of work.
4: Yeah. And I know that, you know, uh, your mom and dad were a, a big influence on you and in your career path and and you know, kind of introducing you to entrepreneurship. Tell me about them a little bit.
0: Uh, sure. So, uh, my mom uh, is very much about opportunities. Take every t- opportunity. Try things. Um, get out there and do things. Um, she was. She showed no fear. Um, just do it. Get out there. And so we were raised to think you you could try anything, and you should try things. Um, as opportunities came your way, and to make opportunities for yourself, and then my dad was always very much about how can you make a better world with the gifts you've been given. Very smart man, very um, very uh, driven guy, and um, the arc of his life has been how to how can he take all that um, for a positive impact in the world. So, be- between those two things, so very strong themes about how I approached my life.
4: Yeah. You know, um, I found it interesting. I read that you had a teacher when you were very young that that said you were a natural girl leader. Yes, what so you, that, yeah, yeah. What was it about you when you think about the, you know, the little Melinda, what were you doing in class that, that the teacher recognized that?
0: So that was my kindergarten teacher. And for the life of me, I can't really figure it out. Um, so I grew up uh, a middle child, four kids and five years. Um, so I always think I ran with a pack. Um, and because I was a middle child really didn't distinguish myself much. Um, I, 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 often think of myself as, um, invisible, honestly, um, where, you know, I just didn't stand out in many ways. So that has always stood up. Like, really? I, I, I wonder too, what did she see?
4: Wow. Well, maybe it was the fact that you were not kind of doing what the rest of the kids were doing. If you, you know, if you thought you were quiet and kind of in the background, then you were observing. And that, you know, is a, is a great trait for leadership.
0: Okay. Interesting interesting theory. And um, and, and, uh, interesting also, um, what I found is that I respond to need. Um, You know, there's that, you know, leaders, you know, some people have it thrust upon them and, you know, some people look for it. I've never, uh, looked for leadership. I've normally, um, had it thrust upon me wow. where if there's a, a need, I respond to that, um, that I want to bring what I can to help a problem, a situation. Um, and so not trying to lead, but if there's a vacuum, um, you know, I I was on a jury and, you know, immediately everybody tried to make me the foreman. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I didn't understand why all of a sudden they decided I should. I just um, so it, it it gets thrust upon me frequently um, or, you know, I, or I, you know. I
4: You know, you know what I think that is, Melinda, I think, you know, there's there's a calm confidence you know, that's different from the ones who speak out loudly and, you know, constantly raising their hand. I think there's kind of an energy around men and women who have kind of a calm confidence. And um, that's my guess as to to what people were recognizing in you. Tell us the story. This is a great story um, because I'm not sure what a cinder block grease pit is, but... <laughs> When you were seven, your brothers were asked to to build one, and they couldn't. So you said, "I'll do it." What is
6: that?
0: Yeah. So uh, one of our neighbors, Colonel Nanny, who was actually the head of the ROTC program at Stanford, um, but he had retired at that point. And he, a grease pit is the pit below a car when you're trying to fix the car. And, um, so it's about six feet down. And, um, so you dig a hole in the ground and then you build up this cinder block um, thing with, you know, a ladder to get in and everything. So, yeah, he came around and he asked if one of my brothers could help him and nobody was around. My mother offered me up. Um, and so (laughs) I love building things. So I went and, um, and at the end of the day, it took us about five days. Um, at the end of the day, we'd sit in rocking chairs and drink Coca-Cola which I never got soda growing up, so that oh, was like a, th- a thrill for me. That was my big payoff. Um, and then he <laughs> then he had me do other jobs. I learned how to rake a gravel roof properly, you know. <laughs> oh well, I'm guessing that was a dirty job,
4: you know. So you didn't mind yeah. getting dirty, a little bit of a tomboy.
0: Uh, um, I'm no, nah, I don't think so. You know, it's funny, it might because I have a younger sister. If uh, class more classically, the tomboy, like I did the ballet, and she did the horses and the. Soccer and, and softball and stuff, but um, uh, and I uh, I always looked kind of fragile, uh, <laughs> I, like I have really big, tiny wrists and stuff, but um, uh, but always uh, very athletic, like out, like being active. So, right. Um, right,
4: yeah, I want to talk, I want to talk about your education. Um, you have a BS from Berkeley and an MBA from Harvard, that's impressive. Um tell me about did school come easy to you or did you have to kind of really work very
0: very hard to to compete Um school came easy to me and if I'd put in more effort I would have um I did well but if I'd put in a little more effort I probably would have been extraordinary grades right um and so um I I I did well.
5: (laughs) You did well, (laughs) well Well enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, grades that got me into Berkeley and grades that got me into HBS. So, um. and
4: how? And how about the? uh, You know. again, this is kind of a broad painting, a broad brush, typically the, the math and the science um, doesn't come as naturally to girls. We're trying to, you know, change that and have them be more open to it. Were you always stronger in those areas?
0: Oh yeah, I love science and math. Um, I love systems and processes. and um, And so I have a father who's an engineer and an economist. I have a brother who's an engineer and a brother who's a scientist. Like, so, I mean, it kind of, um, is all in there and, um, I always loved that, um, biology in particular, how things work, how the, I think the body, the systems in the body, um, and, and math is just, you know, things add up well and, you know, and, um, like how things work properly, I think, um, as always, um, and so. You know, COO's job is to make things work properly. Yes, implement exactly. systems, processes, and yes. Um, so I, it kind of naturally um, has been something I like. Liked. Um, we're going to go into our first break. When
4: we come back, we're going to talk about the company Octave, and you know, uh, I want to talk about uh, investors and and how it all started. If you're listening on twelve ten, stay tuned for our watch team, and we'll be right back with Melinda Thomas.
3: Now the women to watch. Finance Watch.
5: Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. Want to start a business? Once you have your business idea and structure established, you may be wondering, what comes next? It's easy to focus on the big picture. So here's some simple steps you can take to get your business operating successfully from day one. Even in the early stages of your business, separating your business finances from your personal checking account is a necessary step. Create a business checking account so you're more organized when it comes to tracking your finances. There's a wide variety of business checking accounts available, so have an understanding of what would work best for you and your business. If your business is ran from your home, having a P.O. box address can give your business a more professional image. Use this address for communicating with customers and vendors and as the address for all bank and legal documents. A P.O. box can provide a sense of security when receiving important documents too. If your target customer may not be in your location, or you simply want to expand your reach, explore if e-commerce would benefit your business. Consider factors like inventory, shipping, technology, and employees when deciding if to take your business online is the right answer. If you're not so sure but are willing to test it out, Try a platform that takes care of the back end of running an e-commerce business. Most importantly, don't be afraid to ask for help. Turn to those in your network who have been on the journey of starting a business before you. Asking for help is one of the best things that you as a business owner can do. Penn Community Bank offers business banking solutions to help your company thrive. Learn more about our business checking products at penncommunitybank.com today. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. <laughs>
3: Women to watch. Women to watch Sports Watch.
7: Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. Losing is a part of life, and it is hard for all of us to get over it, right? Like, nobody wants to say, you know what? I'm going to go in this today. I'm going to take the L, right? Like, I am going to not give my best effort, and I really hope that I lose, right? Nobody does that. And there's a reason why, because we want to, we we are taught, we are trained to go for the gold, to win, to be that person who sets the example. And yet, when we talk about mental toughness, mental toughness is actually the ability to be present, to focus on what's in your control, and to move on to the next decision, not focusing on the past. How many plays as an athlete, for example do you lose to a bad play or a bad call, right? We're all going to have, we're going to miss tackles, for example, right? Like I'm a linebacker. I'm supposed to tackle people. There are going to be times when I miss that tackle. However, do I miss the next three plays because I missed that tackle or do I come back and make the next play? So it's about focus forward, focus present. And what do I need to do right now in this play on this day to win? And that may have been, you know, Uh, a result of not winning the last day if we're so focused in the past it's really hard to be present right you can't do both we cannot live in our rear view mirror so what did you take from what took you down and how are you going to take that into the next play that you make so that your likelihood of a win is a lot greater because you took a L. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at JayWelter47 on Twitter.
3: This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210
4: WPHT. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco and I'm speaking with Melinda Thomas, the COO and co-founder of Octave, which is a bioscience company melinda did you always want to
0: start your own company Uh, no i don't have that kind of origin story it was really the idea that i wanted to uh be in a small company where i could really move the needle um it came out of having worked um in a company that got very large and acquired by a much larger company and i said you know i watched as as decision time went from three days to three months. Um, and I just thought, you, do, you just don't need me anymore. Like I get stuff done and I'm, I'm not willing to sit around and wait and I don't have a lot of impact. If I work weekends and nights, it's not going to change anything. Um, so that's when I went looking for something smaller, um, something to build um, that could, you know, really use what I brought to it.
4: Yeah. Um, so, for the viewers, let's tell us what um,
0: Octave is. What does the company uh, oh, do? Yeah, sure. So, Octave is a company that is changing the paradigm for care management for neurodegenerative diseases, specifically starting with multiple sclerosis. So, my um, the founder Bill Hagstrom um, and I have uh, you know focused on neurodegenerative diseases, and then really looked at what was standing in the way um, from MS in particular, what was standing in the way of physicians being able to give the best care possible. And we spent about two years really um, talking to people living with MS, the physicians and other healthcare providers who um, take care of them, the other people in the ecosystem, the payers and pharma, and what were the problems and how could we uh, provide a solution to what is a you know a huge problem, and um, so we developed a three dimensional solution, uh, a blood test, um, better imaging, and then care management, uh, nurse care partners. Um, and what's been fascinating is all that work, both of running around and and talking to everybody, um, saying what do you want, <laughs> and then years of developing it. Um, we are now in the market and uh, everybody we've talked to wants it like immediately. And I, it's like, well, I guess if you say, what do you want? And then you give it to them, <laughs> they really want it. So um, it's just, uh, and and what's really great is if we improve outcomes for patients, then that improves the outcomes for the physicians, that improves the outcomes for payers and for, uh, for pharma. And so it really is um, wonderful that it, um everybody everybody wins if um, the people living with ms win. so um it's so been, it's, it's, really, it,
4: it's not about um treatments and cures it's about managing the disease that you have i was curious does it encompass uh, mental and emotional wellness you know
0: what you provide sure i mean anxiety and depression i think uh, 80% of people with ms have um, some sort of anxiety and depression. I'm like, who wouldn't you have a chronic lifetime, you know, debilitating degenerative disease. Um, But there are also things about the disease itself that lead to that. Um, So, and and everything you feel is filtered through that. So you can't improve outcomes unless you're focused on that piece as well.
4: And can you tell me why MS first of all the diseases, YMS is, it was the first one you focused on.
0: Yeah. So Bill and I could have focused on basically anything we wanted at this point in our careers. I mean, Bill has started and, and successfully exited many companies. I've, I've had a few myself. And so um, I, I think we said to ourselves, like, what's the most complex disease, <laughs> the most heterogeneous, what would be the hardest thing to do at this point in our career? But if we do it, it's like really worthwhile having spent your time on. I <laughs> think um, that's part of the way we came to uh, multiple sclerosis, but neurodegenerative diseases, um, uh, less glibly uh, multiple sclerosis is a uh, very complex neurodegenerative disease. And so if we could prove the model in um, this particular disease, moving from that to say Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, Huntington's, um, uh could make more sense because you could see we did it as something really really hard. Really hard. So let's do
4: the <laughs> hardest first and then everything also fall into place. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can you I'm curious um statistics, what what are the numbers um MS versus Alzheimer's versus Parkinson's versus ALS? I feel as though, and this just could be because I'm getting older that I'm seeing more people developing these neuro Diseases, you know, is is there one that's the most uh, prevalent? Is there one that tell me about the numbers and statistics okay. around the different ones?
0: Right. So, since we're focused on MS, that's the one I know the best, and that's about a million people in the U.S. Um, one of the things that makes it stand out, though, is it is because of the drugs, and there are 22, approximately 22 approved drugs for the treatment of MS at this point, it is up there with some of the most expensive um, diseases to manage, um, which is very surprising. So diabetes may have a lot more people who have it, but it's not as expensive to manage as something like MS. So as you focus on what where to uh, put your time and attention. There's a lot of money being spent with fairly poor outcomes. So if you can build a better mousetrap, there is uh, there are resources that can be um, moved to um, fund that.
4: Would you say, Melinda, I, I know it's not your expertise, all the different neurological diseases, but your personal opinion, are we seeing more Numbers, or are there just more people, or do we have access to the the information and knowledge now more so than years and years ago?
0: You I know, just know so many person, you know, yeah, yeah, personal friends and family. Um, you know, what it, 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 speaking to that, um, multiple sclerosis, I actually didn't know anybody with multiple sclerosis, um, when we started this, so it was not a personal, you know, mission for me. But yet when we talk to people, um, you know, a lawyer, oh, yeah, my sister has it or whatever. It's it's fascinating that it's really one or two degrees of separation. But um, in MS, uh, just a few years ago, they thought the number of people who had it was about half because the registries weren't great. The last time that actually sort of counted was 35 years ago and they just extrapolated. Mm-hmm. So I imagine for the other diseases, there's that sort of thing as well. Uh, there's better counting. Um, there's better diagnosis of them. Um, but I do think that neurological diseases, uh, people are living longer and and that, that they probably are on the rise for sure. And
4: when you look at genetics, environment, things we ingest, is it a combination of all those that's attributing to it? And again, I know that's, it's really an unknown, but what's your gut feeling?
0: It's funny you use the word gut. Um, So we um, are working with um, a lot of um, collaborators, but uh, Dr. Baranzini at UCSF um, just had a paper about the uh, gut microbiome and the connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people believe there's a kind of a super highway between the brain and the gut. And so a lot of work now focusing on that. And so um, uh, American diet definitely is probably playing a, a (laughs) <laughs> like that, definitely, probably uh, playing a part <laughs> in the yeah. environment. But um, that's uh, where a lot of the research is going these days um, is uh, toward uh, the gut microbiome.
4: Which really, I it makes it so hard to live every day and make choices that you think are good um, when there's so many things that you know in the back of your mind uh, you think could be bad for you. It's, it's like, how do we just? How do you get through the day? You know, what to eat, how much to exercise, where to go, where not to go. It's a little overwhelming. Well, you been-
0: that yourself. Yeah, I went to a guy uh, at Stanford. They have a, an institute and there's a couple that um, runs it. And um, I went to something, some panel he was on. And I'm like, look, you have kids. So you're feeding them. You're feeding yourselves. Like, do you have a gut like what we should do differently? Um, and he said, kale eat a lot of kale. Oh, kale. I don't like kale. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's eating kale salad. I do not right. like kale.
4: Yeah. Um, uh, anything uh, green. Anything green is always good. Right. You're doing a great job. And I'll tell you, you know, when I announced you are coming on the show, there's so many people out there that are just impressed with you and have worked with you and have... have said wonderful things. So I appreciate your taking time from the lake and upper New York um, to tell us
0: about your life journey and career. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I, I just live my life and if it's helpful to others to give them encouragement to live um, to their fullest extent, um, I'm happy to do it. Well, good. And I don't believe- to talk that often because it's very cool. Good.
4: good. Well, thank you. Um, Up next, you're going to be with, uh, or you're going to hear from Sherry Morrison, who's going to be with Becca Bowe. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: Now, the women to watch marketing watch. Let's talk about the great resignation. Hi there. My name is Diana Barnes or DV as most people call me, and I'm the chief brand officer and creative director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Navigating your career during a global crisis is far from straightforward. Many of us, myself included, have taken stock of our lives, our jobs, and how we spend the time we have. We're always taking inventory of our decisions and making adjustments, but when monumental shifts occur, like a global pandemic, they can result in significant economic movements. Enter the great resignation. The big quit as it's also known, isn't just an opportunity for workers to find more lucrative jobs that they can do from their living rooms. Instead, it's a chance for people to find careers in companies that fill their cups. At Munchkin, we strive to create a culture where monetary compensation is a slice of the pie, but not the whole thing. When employees feel good about their work, the causes their company supports, and the opportunities afforded to them, they tend to stick around. Workplace flexibility and compensation are motivation factors, but so are recognition, advancement, and education. Last year, Munchkin was named a great place to work certified company with 88% of our employees saying it's a great place to work. This accolade isn't a result of competitive salaries and flexible schedules alone. We strive to ensure that employees know they're valued, not just for the work they do, but for who they are. If you oversee a company struggling with employee retention, I urge you to tap into your brand's values and those of your team. In what ways can you bring more value to your employees' lives? How can you invest in them so they invest in you? Putting your employees at the forefront of your strategy will only benefit your company and improve the quality of talent you retain and attract.
6: This Program is paid
3: for by Jacob Media Partners. Welcome
9: to the Lifestyle for women, of women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with makeup artist Becky Bow. Welcome to the show, Becky. Hi. <laughs> Becky and I spoke at length and I did a fair amount of reading about her career. Talk about makeup. You cannot make this up.
1: <laughs> the good it's ones.
9: 20- I think that needs to be the, the name of your new book or, or your Netflix series. You can't
1: make this up. That's amazing. I love that.
9: <laughs> if someone were to show you Becky's photo at this stage in life and ask you to select one of the following as a career, lighting designer, rock star, makeup artist, theologian, you better check all of the above and more. Becky, can you tell us a little bit about in the beginning of Becky and where you're from in your education?
1: I grew up in Vermont um, and on Lake Champlain. Um, I'm the middle child of five. Uh, I have four brothers um, and um, uh, lived in Vermont as a child. Uh, I think I told you I went on kind of an odyssey when I was 10 years old. My mother took three of my brothers and I on a kind of um journey of self-discovery for herself just towing us along um to uh, across europe and to live in israel for a year so that was really um changed the way i looked at the world and um but uh lived in burlington um until i was a a teenager at which point um i you know i was i was a i was uh so I like to say I was, I was a solid C student in high school. My mother had left to get her doctorate at Columbia when I was 15 and took my two younger brothers with her. And um, I was left in the house with my older brother, Paul, who I, we just didn't get along back then. We get along famously now, but our siblings are always that way. And my oldest brother, Mark, who was in the beginnings of um, uh, a lifelong battle with paranoid schizophrenia. So... Um, that was a kind of an interesting time, so uh, it isn't really surprising that probably by the time I was finishing high school, and I finished high school not because I was early, not because I was such a brilliant student, but because I couldn't wait to get out of there, um, I uh, floundered for a bit until my older brother, Paul, who had joined a kind of a somewhat rinky tank band rock band as a bass player um they were traveling around and they asked me to um run lights for them on a new year's eve and i wasn't doing anything so i said yes and uh i guess i did a good job because not long after that they asked me to join them as their lighting person um for 50 bucks a week traveling around new england in a in a a, uh, van and i have to i should say that my entire family is musical except for my father and um so I grew up singing and did a lot of singing as as a kid. And um, eventually I worked my way on stage.
9: Well, it, a little bit more than just worked your way on stage. It sounds like you came, uh, you went from lighting to singer to leader of the band. Yes,
0: yes. You took care
9: of all of the business side of things yep. for the band.
1: Yeah, well, you'll you know that when, and I'm sure that Susan's talked to a lot of people and you have too, that women who find themselves in leadership positions sometimes simply because you have those qualities, you demonstrate them in some small way and then suddenly they're like, tag, you're it. No one else (laughs) wants to do it. I remember the exact moment when I became the leader of the band. I remember the exact moment. We were playing at a club, Um, there was some kind of scuffle about where we were loading in. And suddenly I just turned around to the guy at the club and I said, we need this and you're going to do this right now. And the rest of the band looked at me like this. And I'm like that. Ever since then, I was leader of the band. Well,
9: You must have been pretty good at dealing with people and learning how to negotiate difficult situations. I can't imagine. How do you how do you learn as a child how to deal with uh, your older brother, who it sounds like you were really close to, Um, how do you learn how to deal with him as a paranoid schizophrenic? How do you know what's real and, and what's not? And I I mean, their characteristics, uh, are so different depending on, you know, how you're afflicted.
1: There really is no way. I was 12 years old when Mark became ill and, uh, you know, we were brought up loosely as Jews. My father was raised Roman Catholic, but my mother uh, was Jewish. So according to the Talmud, I'm good to go. And, uh, so when he became ill, we none of us knew what to make of it. None of us knew. And he also um, became a born again Christian, which was kind of jarring for at least half of my family. And it was really rough. Um, in in the in first few years because it was so heartbreaking and um, but over the years I will say that um, and I believe this very strongly not that this is a conversation about the mental ill but I do want to get this message out there if anyone else has someone in their family who is suffering from a serious mental illness and what I found, carried me through were two things. One, that you learn to love the new person and, and and mourn and get over the old person because the old person's not coming back. And two, that these people, you know, are on this earth for a reason. If we don't become more compassionate, uh, more empathetic towards other people, what no matter what they're going through, by virtue of this relationship we've had with someone who has a serious mental illness, then we have failed. And their life doesn't have as much meaning. So, we give their life meaning by being better people.
9: That's a great message. Um, it's a really great message, and a lot of people need to understand it, uh, especially the part with being able to get over who you've lost and That's right. who you're you're ending up with.
1: Yeah, my mother never really was able to get over who she lost. Um, my father was a little bit
9: better at it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so... Back to the band a little bit, because you had over 2,000 performances on stage. Um, Tell us a little bit about the evolution and how you eventually made it. You realized that you had more than artistic talents on stage, but behind Mm -hmm. the scenes with your makeup. Sure.
1: Well, I, I, yeah, and then there was that whole uh, grad school thing in between. Um, but uh, I, I really all, always wanted to be, I was, I, I, like I told you, I came out of the womb like, ta-da. And um, so that was kind of inevitable. And uh, so, so, you know, that, that time in my life in the band was the happiest time of my life. Um, it was joyous. It was hard. You know, I was in a relationship that was very difficult, but I we stayed together for the children, meaning the band. But a band is a family. And uh, you know you get very close to your bandmates and you you things evolve, you evolve, you get better, you get bigger, you get you know more popular. Um, it's very satisfying to hear your songs on the radio. It's wonderful. It's you know, you're on stage and you're on stage with utter abandon, the freest you could possibly feel. So I, I, I am so grateful to have had that experience because I think young people who are coming up in music now no longer have the as much opportunity as I did to tour around. I mean, the drinking age was 18 when I was in the band. And so the, we had these big, huge clubs that could sustain, you know, a band with a traveling with a truck and roadies and all that stuff. Uh, that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. So I'm super grateful about that. I'm grateful for it, give teaching me leadership skills. I was not a confident teenager. I had really bad skin. I, I was clinically depressed in my senior year of high school or what was left of it. So you know, to find out that I had some kind of a leadership quality um, was, you know, it, it was life-changing for me. And I and I you mentioned diplomacy. I'm not sure how diplomatic I was back then. (laughs) I think I've learned a lot of skills about just diplomacy since then. But I mentioned that I did have really bad skin when I was younger. So being in the band, that's when I started experimenting with makeup. And um, as you know, this was like the late 70s, early 80s. There was no Sephora. There was no Ulta. There was no YouTube. So everything that I was doing was simply getting what was available mostly in the drugstore and manipulating in some way so I just figured out that I was good at it and um and that's where I first played with makeup and came to understand later on when I had an opportunity to just kind of get a new job uh that I, I was good at makeup
9: well uh you're you got married you were married uh, two times you're married now and you were married I might be three. married three I can tell, tell you what
1: I might be married three. I keep telling him.
9: <laughs> so for more information, go to B-E-K-E-B-E-A-U.com and check out her services, her schedule for classes and her workshops. And please join me next week as I enter the world of summer enrichment camp with entrepreneur and founder of Handwork Studio, Laura Kelly. Sue will be up next with our Wellness Watch contributor. Thank you for listening, and keep living your dreams, ladies.
3: Now, the Women to Watch,
2: Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. The latest veteran unemployment report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed that this is a golden time for veterans overall. July marked the fifth consecutive month the veteran unemployment rate was below 3 percent, a streak not seen since 2000. Historically, veterans have had a lower unemployment rate than the national average because of their transferable skills and their above-average education attainment. But there is still more work to be done. July's report also showed a slight increase in post-9-11 veteran unemployment which was on par with a national average of 3.5%. Post 9-11 veterans are those who served after September 11, 2001, and also happens to be the fastest growing veteran population in today's civilian workforce. That is why employers and organizations need to continue their efforts to recruit and create an inclusive workplace for transitioning service members and military spouses. Several years ago, Comcast committed to hiring 10,000 veterans, National Guard, and Reserve service members, as well as military spouses. We met that goal and immediately extended it to 21,000 because the talent these teammates bring to our company is remarkable. So, if you have the chance to open career opportunities for those who served and their spouses, do it. If you want to learn more about recruiting and creating an inclusive workplace for members of the military community, check out our partner, PsychArmor, and their free resources at www.psycharmor.org.
4: Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Shalja Dixit. She is our Wellness Watch contributor. Shalja, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Susan. Hi. Uh, how are you? Nice I'm, to be I'm back. I'm well. Can, you can hear me okay? Yes.
6: Yeah. Thank you.
4: Terrific. Terrific. Um, right off the bat, I'd love for you to just tell our viewers and listeners, what
6: is Curio? So, uh, first of all, thanks for inviting us. And it's great to be partnered with women to Watch media here in Yusu, Curio Digital Therapeutics focuses on women's mental and behavioral health. So we are a digital therapeutic platform. What it means is delivering interventions via digital platform for women's mental health and behavioral health across every stages of their life. So all the way from adolescent to when they start thinking about family, fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, perimenopause, and healthy aging.
4: It's a lot of different phases, isn't it, that we have to go through?
6: <laughs> I know, and it's tough. It's tough, uh, you it's know. Tough. And, and every phase is so different. Uh, so yeah, you know, there is there, there needs to be a tool to help us as we go through these phases,
4: right? And and there has not been anything like this before. So I think it's really, I think it's remarkable. Um, tell us about the products, and specifically a product called PPD
6: yes so you know as i said for each of the phase there are differences right there is age group differences you know how we interact the the physiology and how we present with different aspects in our life at that stage is different so we have a product for every stage of life uh, our first product as we started looking at The highest unmet need and where women can use some tools the most, which has an impact on women's life, family, infant. Uh, Obviously, the area that came out with the highest unmet need was pregnancy and postpartum depression. So PPD, as you said. So we have our first product for postpartum depression and pregnancy. We call it Mama Lift. So it's actually lifting the emotional health uh, of a woman who's going through pregnancy uh, as well as uh, postpartum.
4: You know, Shalja, I think one of the most important things you're doing in your work is is trying to alleviate the stigma around many of these um, issues that women face. Talk to me a little bit about that and and how you hope to to change the
6: stigma. So, Sue, as you rightly pointed, just giving you some numbers before I go into that stigma part, right? Unfortunately, 65% or so of women who are pregnant or recently delivered and should get some kind of help for their emotional, mental health don't get any help right? And this is United States statistics I'm talking about. And there are several reasons, but one of the major reason is stigma. So we believe the digital platform, because this is a tool which is available to a woman at her fingertips when she wants, without going anywhere, you know, these are perfect for take care of these stigma because you don't have to go out and seek help. The help is there coming to you at your fingertips in your phone, in your app, uh, as an app platform
4: it's interesting because you know no matter how um it it seems perhaps not quite human to be bringing digital and technology to helping women with their mental health and well-being it's just the way of the world it's the way we're going and and we have to kind of work with it
6: yeah i think you know it's it's the way we are going another thing is that covid Taught us many things and it changed a lot of things the way we do. Uh, and digital is here to stay because it made us uh, think about it. If we didn't have those digital tools, many people would not have gotten even care because telemedicine applications, digital tool were actually more in action, if I may say, during COVID. Uh, so absolutely, you know, I won't say that. I call it like high tech, high touch. So only. Needed, you know, uh, th- this is the way we can actually provide something in an affordable and scalable fashion. So we are not saying that take away the human touch. There is, We are actually launching it through the providers. So we believe that uh, human intervention, uh, a physician needs to be in that care coordination mix. We are not taking that away. But the idea is to enable and strengthen that aspect of emotional and behavioral wellness, which does not exist today. So I call it like high touch, high tech. So not taking away the touch aspect, that's always there and will have a value, but only touch when, when it's needed because a lot of things can be done by technology today. So think about if a, if a OBGYN or, or a provider or a therapist can only look at 10 people, this gives them an ability to actually provide access to hundreds maybe. So that's, that's how we look at uh, these kinds of platforms.
4: You know, I'm real excited for the weekly experts and stories that you're going to be bringing to the show. Is there one in particular you can talk about that
6: we'll be seeing? Yes, I think very soon you'll be talking with uh, a chief research officer from Axia Women's Health who are, we are launching at Axia uh, Dr. Gary Riley uh, you know and he w- he's adopting this for his patients and we are very excited I mean I'm looking forward for him to talk about uh, postpartum depression talk about uh, behavioral health issues within pregnancy and provide his perspective from a f- practicing physician. So I think I'm 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 excited about that, and then there are series of other experts that we have lined up, uh, you know, from various stages of women's life. We have therapists who will be bringing to talk about uh, what is the stigma associated and how digital can help uh, overcome the stigma and uh, take care of your emotional and mental health.
4: What kind of feedback have you been getting from users of the of the app?
6: You know, so the most enlightening thing for for me, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll tell you very. The the good thing is every mom wants to, to overcome her mental and emotional health to take care of their family, right? So we have motivated users, right? I We don't even call them patients. We have motivated women who want to get better. They're looking for the tool, right? So that was the first thing. I mean, I think we knew this, but when we saw how open women are and how desperate they are to look for some help, that was like, you know, it was, kind of like an aha moment that we are doing something right, right? This is needed. Um, Another very interesting thing was I was talking to one of uh, a user and uh, her story was that, you know, the last thing I want, if you will think about a, a pregnant woman or a new mom, she is in the mix of the healthcare system, meaning she's going to her OB, she's going to hospital for her visits, she's going to her pediatrician, taking her neonate there and so on. She said, the last thing I have time for and I want to do is yet another appointment, right? Mm-hmm. Because I am not operating on my own schedule, right? I have to do things in between when my baby's napping, when when it's two o'clock in the night. Uh, and when we launched our product in a study format, we did find that most of the logins happen at one o'clock in the night, two o'clock oh, in I the know. night, right? So that proved to us that, yes, you know, this is actually a tool which is made available to a woman when she wants it, because unfortunately or fortunately, a new mom does not have a schedule of her own. And it's so difficult to book an appointment, drive to a place, and we are able to give her a tool that she can actually look at and get better whenever she wants. So that was, I think, one of the biggest feedback for me. And made us think that, you know, yeah, it d- does make sense. All of the thinking and user testing we have done has actually come full circle. And, you know, we are seeing a good response from users.
4: Th- that's incredible. I'm picturing, you know, this woman in the middle of the night breastfeeding and and needing support and having something at her fingertips um, that she can go to. I think that's really amazing. Um, before we let you go, tell our viewers just a little bit about yourself and what led you to do this work. Why is it so important to you?
6: So, so I'm a physician by training, you know, but not, not, uh, uh, not a behavior, not in the neurology or behavioral area. I'm in internal medicine. Uh, it was a part of my own journey. You know, I, when I had my child, uh, I was also having a very, very, um, uh, full career, if I may say at that point of time, I was with a corporate. Uh, It was so difficult to admit to myself and to admit to the world because as a society, we have painted a picture that motherhood has to be an extremely happy event. All those chubby, beautiful babies, and it is, but it's not for everyone. Well, listen, I, I'm so looking forward to the
4: segments. I think um, Curio is a perfect partner for women to watch. And um, I thank you for sharing a little bit about the company and yourself today. And we look forward
6: to to more time with you. Thank you, Sue. And we are looking forward to this journey as well. Uh, thanks for inviting me and Curio. And uh, you know, I'm lo- we are looking for- forward to all the series that are going to come.
4: Terrific. Well, that's it for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Cornelia Samara. Cornelia is the GM of the Four Seasons Hotel here in Philadelphia. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is prerecorded